Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Posting up. He's got Bogdanovich thinking about a three. There it is. Yes! From one of the best there, Mark Zumov, Joel Embiid's game-tying three in regulation to take it into overtime. And we know what happened there. Tobias Harris destroyed the Jazz in OT, outscored them, I think, 11-5 to himself. And the Sixers ended up getting a win over the league-leading Utah Jazz. And that win takes them into the All-Star break. What a win. And look, I'm still buzzing off of it. You should be. Because that that is something that needed to happen before the All-Star break. And we'll talk with Kevin McCormick about that, who's joining us right now on the line change. Fox Sports to Gamble, presented by Cure Auto Insurance. He's joining us via the Dr. Glatt Regrow Your Hairline. Dr. Paul Glatt, Philadelphia's leading hair restoration doctor. Visit drglatt.com. You can follow him at KevinMCC973 at the 973 because he is a reporter for ESPN 97.3 in South Jersey and he covers the Philadelphia 76ers beat. Uh, Kevin, before we start off with absolutely anything here, and there's a lot of things I do want to dive into about last night and sort of the importance of it, but I think any conversation about last night has to start with Joel Embiid's playing out of his mind this year. Yeah, last night was just another game to add to the resume of why Joel Embiid needs to be in the conversation as the head and shoulders clear front runner for the MVP award right now. And honestly, in the conversation for the most dominant player on the court right now in the entire league. Yeah, one of the the, the best and most dominant player in the entire league. And the, the, the stats show it. I mean, put into perspective here. In terms of the just the stats and the fact that he is a center and a big man doing it in, in a three-point shooting league, I mean, just put into perspective some of the numbers of how well he is playing. They are MVP numbers, right? Without a doubt. I mean, this man is top three in points per game. He's grabbing close to 12 rebounds a game. At 7-2, he's approaching the 50-40-90 platform. I mean... It just, he continues to amaze. There's nothing on the court that he can't do. This is a seven foot center who can take you down in the post and have you watching a 80s, 90s style game. And then he's also a center who is breaking out step back jumpers in the mid range and is taking a broken play in the guts of a game and nailing a three to send it to overtime. It truly has hit that point with Joel Embiid this season where. You really just need to sit back and enjoy what's going on because it truly is one of a kind. He is the generational talent that he was hyped up to be when he was first drafted. He's without a doubt been worth the wait, and it's just been so great to enjoy and watch on a nightly basis. It has been, and last night, again, was a big example uh, of it and the excitement that came from it as well. This was a really important game for the Sixers. And, and, you know, I hate to put the importance that they needed to win that or this was a must-win because it wasn't anywhere close to that. But just to go into the All-Star break when 
there were, there were starting to, to be some doubts again that crept into the, the minds of Sixers fans and even betters betting on the Sixers' futures of, all right, well, this team was looking great, then that West Coast trip uh, kind of had people turned off again. This seemed like a really important win for them to kind of remind themselves, too, it seemed like, hey, we're, we're in it to win the NBA Finals this year, and we can do it, and that win kind of was a statement on that. Yeah, I wouldn't say it was a must-win, although... I would kind of say it is just because if you also think about the game before where they get run out of the gym by Cleveland, and that's just an ugly loss that you never want to see happen. They dominate against Indiana, and then you have the chance to go 3-1 and one on this homestand and just really have that momentum heading into the all-star break. So I think picking up a statement win like that, without a doubt, was a big boost because you know now you have that on your shoulders and just having that in the back of your head that, you know, this team's taken out a lot of good teams in the first half of the season, whether it was the Lakers heroics from Tobias Harris against the Lakers to a double-digit comeback against the Raptors early on in the season to now. Last night against the Jazz, this team continues to step up, show that they're going to get stops late in game, and they're even showing that despite critics saying that they need this closer and this guy who can create on the outside that Tobias Harris and Joel Embiid have really taken it upon themselves to kind of close by committee late-in-games offensively. Yeah, we'll get to that because I, I completely agree, and we're starting to see some late-game roles kind of defined. Uh, but I, I want to still go with the Sixers in that game and the the importance of it as well because the Utah Jazz coming into that game were chirping a lot as well, and it's a game that the Sixers lost. Um, th- this, this Sixers team, as of now, you would have to put... Uh, probably right up there with with the Nets, right? Like, is it just for sure now that this is locked into maybe a two-horse race in the East? I would have to say so. Though I still feel the Sixers need to make some upgrades, and we still don't know how the rest of the East is going to shape up. I think Boston has definitely lowered themselves down this year with just how much they've struggled. But if you look at teams like Toronto and Miami, who are finally starting to get healthy, even though Toronto just got hit with the COVID bug again. But you know, now that they have this chance to kind of reset over the All-Star break, Miami's fully healthy. They've strung some wins together. Milwaukee got to a holiday back. Giannis has been playing phenomenally. And, you know, they're starting to creep up the standings as well. So I think we could see some teams below them creep up and kind of get in the conversation to be in the tier with them. But heading into the All-Star break right now, I would have to say that the East is that two-horse race between the Sixers and Brooklyn. Yes, it's been really impressive to see, as as you mentioned a little bit earlier, that you know it's been impressive to see the roles being defined in that fourth quarter. It never seemed like it was there with Brett Brown, and I thought it was going to take a little bit of time with Doc Rivers. But as you just said, the offense kind of runs through Joel Embiid, but Tobias Harris is also used there as a closer, mainly being a scoring option for them when needed, and Ben Simmons starts to do this lockdown defensive role and completely shut down the best player in Donovan Mitchell. Is it, is it that clear of a difference in late-game situations from the Sixers last season to now? I would say so. But it's a couple of different things. I mean, it's, it's tough to say how drastic changes have been just from a coaching perspective. We also look, have to look at the roster as well. I mean, Mike Harris got to slide last night, partially because he got to attack mismatches, which goes back to him getting back to his natural position at the power forward and having no Al Horford in the way, and those guys having the proper spacing and room to work to kind of get their games going. So although I would say partially it goes to the changes in the roster that have been made in the offseason, 
the addition of Doc Rivers has, without a doubt, shown its impact, especially with a guy like Tobias Harris, who, since being back reunited with Doc, is playing arguably the best basketball of his career. We're talking with Kevin McCormick. You can follow him at KevinMCC973. Joining me on the line change right now via the Dr. Glatt Rieger, your hairline. And one thing about the Jazz that always, it happened the first time as well, that's kind of sticking out is it highlights the three-point shooting or the deficiencies at three-point shooting the Sixers have because it was very tough to keep up with the Jazz that entire game. And the Sixers never really shot well the entire game. But it seems like the Sixers' counterpunch to that, at least so far, is being able to get to the line at such a high rate. They did 35 times, which was much more than the Jazz 19, and the Sixers have been doing that all season. They're the team that gets to the free throw line the most. They make the most free throws per game, and they have a really good percentage, so they're doing it at such an efficient rate. Is that their counterpunch to three-point shooting, and how much of that is are they able to continue, especially when they get into the playoffs? I wouldn't necessarily say it's a counterpunch just because if you look at the trading points perspective, I mean, yes, heading to the foul line is amazing, but first off, you have to hit them, and there have been nights where they've really left a lot of points in the foul line. And at the end of the day, the most you're getting is two points, so you're still trading twos with threes, which in the end is never going to you know, sustain, although they were able to survive last night. It kept them in the game and allowed them to just survive to the end and put themselves in a position to get stopped late and win the game. The main thing with me is, I feel like we've talked about this before, too, just lack of attempts. I mean, they struggled in the first half from three, but they only shot eight. If you go and look at the second, the second half and overtime, they shot 17 and they made seven of them. So the shots started to go once they started to hunt them a little more. I get that when the shots aren't there that you kind of go away from it a little bit. And when guys like Simmons and Abid are running your offense, you might not as much as your average team in the NBA, but for them to function at their best, they need guys out there spacing the floor. And to keep things properly spaced, you have to continue to hunt those threes. So whether it's Jeff Curry, Danny Green, Perkin Korkmaz, Shake Millen, there needs to be that emphasis in the second half of the year of getting a good amount of threes up on a nightly basis. Yeah, and I agree with that. And how much uh, how much are they going to have to experiment to do that? Because we think of them as a NBA Finals-ready team, but once they do make that adjustment, whether it is they bring in another shooter or trade for a guy, like I, I always mention Kyle Lowry because he's the one that's been linked to him, but if he does, he obviously is a much more volume shooter from three than Danny Green or Seth Curry, whoever he takes over in that lineup. So uh, how much of that would change their overall makeup, though? Because because there, there is a bit of a balance there that the Sixers do need to find with shooting more from the three-point line while also not taking away the fact that they do dominate in the paint and are able to get to the free-throw line often because of it. It seems like there's a little given pull there that they're going to need to find a happy medium with. Part of it is just sometimes you see guys really reluctant to shoot the ball from deep. One guy in particular is Steph Curry. There, there's a lot of instances on a nightly basis where if you really put him under the microscope, there's about three to four times a night where he kind of gives an uptake or just tries to throw a jab step and try and get around the guy and pop that mid-range, where in reality he could just throw that shot up and, you know, not necessarily hope it goes in. But, I mean, Seth Curry can shoot the ball great from deep, but part of it is the selectiveness of it. And sometimes with Danny Green as well, where he'll be in the corner and he'll try and get a defender with a pump fake and the defender won't bite and he'll just be stuck. So just little instances like that, if they can just get in the rhythm of, if it's there, take it. No matter how it looks, there's going to be ugly ones, but at least you're attempting them and keeping defenses honest. 
And then if you're looking at the trade market, this concept of needing more attempts from three, like you said, you need a volume guy who's just going to get them there. It makes the name Victor Oladipo very interesting because although he's not the greatest shooter from deep this season, he shoots about eight a game. And with Simmons and Embiid, he might get cleaner looks on the outside. So he's a volume guy, and the percentage might go up because he might get cleaner looks. So I don't know how you want to attack it, whether just focusing with the guys in the house and getting them more in that mindset of hunting threes more, or you go and look in the trade market and the buyout market. Maybe you have to bring a guy like J.J. back just to have that kind of volume shooter who's just going to be unconscious and throw them up no matter how the shots are falling or how they look. Yeah, and it's kind of expected that there is going to be, and I, I saw from somewhere, I've, I forget where it was, if it was a press conference or a report or somebody was saying it, but this roster may not look maybe what it is in the first half of the season, and we all think it's a great first half, but obviously there are going to be some changes. How big of a change do you think the roster is going to be from the first half to the second half? And also, what do you think it's going to take for the Sixers to get the right player? Not to get Kyle Lowry or just Victor Oladipo, but what it's going to take to get the right player to make them an NBA Finals team? There's a couple couple different avenues that they could take to really upgrade this roster. If you look at the end of the bench from Mike Scott, Terrence Ferguson, Tony Bradley and Vincent Poirier, they all make about two to five million dollars. So you can combine a couple contracts and bring in a guy who's making a good amount of money that you can help fit into this team. One guy's like George Hill, who's only making around eleven million dollars, who would be a really nice boost to this team. So using all those contracts and kind of pull them together to go and get a piece or two could help them. And then you also still have that eight point one million dollar trade exception from the Horford deal which could go get you a guy like P.J. Tucker or Nemanja Bialica from Sacramento. So there's a lot of different avenues that Daryl Morey has to work with outside of just going for the big splash like a Lowry or an Oladipo maybe. He has the tradable assets. They still have a good amount of picks. I believe they have two first-round picks they have to work with. So between those tradable contracts, the trade exception, and at the end of the day, there's still the buyout market. and They still have about $4 million left of the taxpayer mid-level exception to use in the buyout market. So there really is the potential of Daryl Morey completely reshaping the second unit before the Sixers head into the playoffs. We're talking with Kevin McCormick. You can follow him at KevinMCC973 because he reports on the Sixers for ESPN 97.3 in South Jersey. Also does a little bit of stuff for the Liberty Line as well. We like those guys around here. Uh, the line change, Fox Sports and Gambler, presented by Cure Auto Insurance. Uh, so... It, things might change for the second half. Obviously, they do need to change a little bit in order for them to make an NBA Finals run, but they are in position for that. What in the first half, how, how do you kind of summarize this first half of the season as we're heading into the All-Star break? How do you summarize this first half? There were a lot of things that were changed before the season, and we weren't sure how it was going to work this season, but now everything has just kind of come together really nicely, and they're in a good position in the second half to make a run. Uh, but, but how do you summarize this first half for the Sixers? If I had to summarize it, I would say overachieving would be a nice word I would use. And I would also say that there's still room for improvement despite the great success they've seen. Like you said, this was an organization that almost had a complete overhaul in a very short offseason. So the fact that we're able to bring in all these moving parts and pretty much throw everything together on the fly and it succeed the way it has is definitely a major bonus. But through this time, you've 
also seen some key areas of weakness that definitely need improving. So I think the fact that this group has been able to come together and see that success despite minimal practice, despite bringing in two new starters who have to learn a whole new coaching system and integrating their stars and such, has definitely been a big boost and still keeps them at the top of the conference. So in terms of what can happen in the second half of the season, you know, this group now has a whole half of a season together just playing together on the comfort level. Doc River also has a whole sample size to work with now. And this is a guy who even last night after the game said, you know, he's still going to be in the lab. He's going to be watching film. He's going to be continuing to tweak this team. So the fact that he has all this film and this body of work to work with now could be a major boost heading into the second half of the season now that the areas of improvement are far more apparent than they were heading into the beginning of the season where there was still a lot of unknowns just because of all the drastic change. All right, so I've been kind of stalling a little bit because I wanted to get through all the Sixers stuff first, but um, can we make fun of the Jazz now? Is that okay? Can we? Do you want to get into that? Uh, because that was – there were a few bad calls. I, I, I watched kind of back the last few minutes because I think that's what, in regulation, where they were really upset about. And I could understand, especially that out-of-bounds play for them calling that out. I completely understand that, but – I don't know, man. I feel like they kind of went a little bit too much into the all woe is me after a loss like that. Yeah, it was not a great look for a team that's pretty much been running rampant this whole season so far. Donovan Mitchell complaining about the referees when they bailed him out on pretty much every attempt at the old, you know, D-Wade move up. I'm going to pump to get my defender off their feet and just throw myself into them and get the call. He got about three of those last night, and one of them was a three attempt where he honestly jumped side to side and not up and down. So the fact that after that game, he was still ranting and raving about the refs and how they weren't getting calls and such was definitely something that had me raising an eyebrow to it. And at the end, he just kind of threw that temper tantrum because he couldn't get anything going on Ben Simmons, and it was getting to him. And after a whole night of thriving and getting all the shots to go, the lights turned up and the Sixers up their intensity defensively and he was, you know, to put it bluntly, put in a prison by Ben Simmons. Yeah, I mean, they, they were. And that's, I mean, that's the first thing. It's not even going out and mentioning like, hey, yeah, Joel and B just kind of kicked our butt for about 60 minutes or whatever it was there. And, you know, maybe that should have been the first thing. But instead, Rudy Gobert, the defensive player of the year, is going, we didn't get the calls and we never get yeah. respect. And then not even, not even 24 hours later after those comments, I mean, LeBron and KD just straight disrespected him. Uh, holy crap. Those two being at the end of the All-Star draft, and I don't think it's it's saying that the Jazz are bad, but it was kind of a really funny coincidence after what happened last night and then for that tonight to happen where they were the last two players picked. I mean, Jazz were just taking L's left and right. <laughs> I mean, the Mitchell definitely surprised me in terms of the All-Star draft, but Gobert doesn't shock me in the slightest. Every year I ask myself, why does the NBA put him in this game? As much as you want to quote-unquote say he's this great defensive anchor and defensive player of the year, to which that, that there really needs to sit down and a dialogue needs to be said about you know his reputation as a defender. But in terms of the All-Star game, this is a game all about offense and you know guys showing out and the score is going to be like 180 to 202. So, aiming a guy like Rudy Gobert, who his only offensive threat is setting really nice screens, catching offensive rebounds, and catching lobs, never makes sense for me to put him in a game like this. 
No. And I, I think the best line of the night is, what was it, LeBron James going, I think we need some size, and then drafting with Rudy Gobert on the board. He drafted Sabonis. <laughs> so the Jazz overall We'd just, oh, oh my God, we all love to see it. And I don't know, what I guess, was it because of the complaining? It seems like everybody just turned on the Jazz in in just a couple of days. The Jazz were kind of the darlings. Like, oh, this is fun watching Donovan Mitchell and the Jazz. And, you know, they're, they're doing better than the Lakers in the West. And we all hate LeBron. At least a lot of people do, not me. But it was all the Jazz are the darlings. And this is fun. And all of a sudden, it switched immediately. I don't know how that happened. But there has definitely been a switch, right? They're, they become just a hated, annoyed team. You know, maybe LeBron was just being a little petty because the Jazz are above the Lakers in the standing right now. Yeah, I think we might have lost Kevin McCormick there uh, a little bit. Kevin McCormick, follow him at Kevin M- Kevin MCC973. But yeah, we're having fun with the Jazz, but uh, real quick before I let you go, because we are running out of time, uh, the, the first half of the season is over. We're getting into the second half. What are some things, especially as betters looking into the futures market, you know, what are some things that we should be kind of be looking at, especially when it comes to the trade deadline? What teams do you think are going to be making quite a move here to bolster their rosters even more? I'm looking at a team maybe like the Nets, the Bucks maybe making a move, even though they did during the offseason. Just what should we expect in the second half of this season? To be honest, I'm very intrigued to see how this trade deadline is going to go because typically at this point in the year, you kind of know who your buyers and sellers are going to be. But with the way the season's gone with COVID and how a team can pretty much be knocked out for a week, like overnight pretty much, it could be interesting to see, you know, which teams feel they might can still be in the mix post-trade deadline. And not to mention with them keeping the playing tournament, now there's two extra teams at the bottom of the standings who if you're sitting in ninth or 10th place and you're only – a game and a half, two games out of the eight seed, you might try and buy the deadline instead of still. So I think it's still becoming apparent which teams are going to be shopping and which teams are going to be in the mix to acquire. But I would think all of your top teams are going to make a move. I think Milwaukee makes a move. Brooklyn, I could see more playing in the buyout market. I think the Sixers will definitely make two or three moves possibly before this trade deadline. So I would say pretty much all of your tier one, tier two teams, especially in the East where it's still looked at as being wide open, that all those top teams are really going to try and shake things up to try and make that one last push before the postseason. Yeah, it's going to be really fun. That trade deadline, you're right, especially in the East, is going to be very interesting. And the Sixers are probably the one. Is that the one everybody is, is keeping their eye on the most? Is that the Sixers or is there another team? Uh, I would figure the Sixers, just because of now, they're they're in position for the NBA Finals and still knowingly need a couple of moves. Yeah, I would have to say it's the Sixers just because they sat atop the top of the Eastern Conference this whole half of the season so far. And they're really looked at as like the main Golden Horse team that could potentially overthrow Brooklyn. So I think a lot of teams are going to be watching them just to see how they shape up and if they can fill out that second unit, they're going to be an even, an even tougher team to beat come playoffs. Yeah, uh, Kevin, always love talking to you. And uh, what does the All-Star break look like for you? Does that mean a week-long vacation for you? Uh, to be honest, I'm, I'm going to be in the lab. I got, I got some things cooking up. I'm, I'm trying to bring something new for the second half of the season. Uh, I'm going to be 
kind of tinkering with and hoping to debut right before the Sixers get back in action. Oh, look at you. The grind never stops. That's a heck of a tease, too. Now I'm interested. I have no idea what this new project is that you're working on, but uh, I'm, I'm interested. Follow him at KevinMCC973. Uh, thanks for joining me, man. Look forward to hearing uh, hearing um, from you a lot more in the second half. Should be a fun one for the Sixers, so we'll definitely be talking to you a lot. Absolutely. And you have a good night, man. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.